All right, everyone, Practice Any Fam Jam. I have one of my best friends on the podcast, which feels silly because I see you all the time, talk to you all the time, go to your classes. So this just feels like us talking on the phone, but um, Pervy Patel Lippincott. Actually, is that your mi- middle name? What's your middle name? Um, no, it's still my dad's name, which is Jayanti Lal. Pervy Jayanti Lal Lippincott. I just kept all of the consonants and vowels and just long as possible. Good God, that's beautiful. Um, so we are talking today. I'm going to try to not treat this like we're just talking on the phone. Um, <laughs> we are talking this week about Satyagraha. And so I, I'm, I wanted you to speak to this, to our community, because um, you have a deep knowledge of Gandhi. And Satyagraha, for those who don't know, is uh, a concept birthed from Gandhi and was what stemmed um, his civil disobedience movement in India, which then affected uh, how the um, civil rights movement in the in South Africa managed the apartheid or handled the apartheid, and then the civil rights movement in the United States. So it's a really important concept. Gandhi obviously is a really important person. Pervy is really an important person. Um, so I think I'd love to start this conversation by just starting with some pervy trivia, like about you as an individual, you have a tattoo that maybe you can share about um, where your parents are from, like all that. Go. Hey, oh yes, I know. I think people forget about the, ta- I forget about my tattoo because it's on the back of my neck. Yes. <laughs> but it is, uh, it's actually Gandhi's signature. It is M.K. Gandhi, and um, his name is Mohandas Karanchan Gandhi, and Mahatma is this title they gave him, right? And um, this this acknowledgement of his power and what he was, something of greatness. And so we know him often as Mahatma Gandhi, but um, his father's name was Karanchan, which is which it comes back to my middle name, which is so funny you brought it up because. In the Indian lineage, you take your father's name as your middle name when you're born. And then for women, once you're married, you take your spouse's name as your, their first name as your middle name. So they know like what your family lineage is. Um, so that's how he got his middle name. I did not want to be pervy Craig Lippincott. That was not going to happen in my storyline. And I held on to my father's um, first name as my own. And so... Yeah, I, I have that tattoo. I got it actually, um, fun fact, when I was uh, living here in Indianapolis and was about to go work for the state Senate as a legislative assistant. Um, and, you know, everything's a part of our journey. So like, spoiler alert, I worked for the Senate majority, which in Indiana is a Republican majority. I hope we'll evolve that someday. But um, to me, it was like a paycheck, it was insurance, and it was eyes into policy. And I just, that's where I was trying to get was to better understand the policy um, that impacts our world. And I think, you know, we have some other questions around like my educational background. I think, well, it'll maybe come back to all of that, but it was like my stance and like, I know what I stood for. And I literally tattooed it onto my neck before I went and worked for what I felt was like, you know, I don't want to call it the other side, but a side in which I had very 
very little in common with, I felt like, but I was willing to take a job because it was financial stability. I had insurance and my parents were pretty much like, you graduated college, we need you to do this shit. And so I was like, okay, oh, okay. (laughs) You had a a degree in um, psychology and um, what's the other, you have two degrees, psychology. Yep. Criminal justice, criminology were my two majors. I came to Ball State with the pre-law intention. Um, Gandhi was an attorney. My mom wanted to be an attorney. Um, She ended up, you know, following kind of more what her family wanted for her was like the medical um, avenue. And she, and she decided not to do that either. Um, And so I think I had like taken on this, like, I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to fight for, I wanted to be a defense attorney Mm. and I wanted to work for the people. So I thought since Ball State doesn't actually have a pre-law program, I chose criminal justice because that aligned with that whole like public defense, um, working for the people, like making sure that they are receive proper and adequate, um, procedural support. Right. And so that's what my background was learning criminal justice. I did my internship at the Delaware County um, prosecutor's office. And I think I just learned how broken our system was then. Like I had an idea, but like to hear the statistics, the facts, um, there's so much uh, information, bad information that's being passed around. And it was like one of those where I heard like black on black crime is not a thing. Like there's not a thing that's called white on white crime. There's not a thing called black on black crime. Most crime occurs within your communities, within your demographics. So if there was black on black crime, then there would be white on white crime, Asian on Asian crime. Like they would have to be isolated that way, but it's not because a majority of crime occurs within that, right? And so it was good for me to be in a place where they were giving us information and talking about how horrible the, you know, the mass incarceration rates are. It's where I first learned like police officers are the gatekeepers to the criminal justice system. They have the choice to engage they have the choice to detain. They have the choice to put you through what they want to file as your chargings will start to happen further along into the, but they can super easily tell you that you resisted arrest, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that there's, uh, there's, we're learning how flawed our criminal justice system is, our prison systems are. And um, that was like my first glance into it. And (laughs) I think that has such an interesting parallel to um, Kamala Harris, which as we record this, yesterday it was announced that Joe Biden is, you know, the president elect, Kamala Harris is vice president elect. I cried all day. I cried all day. I was so happy. And joyful tears. Yes. So many of them. So much joy and so much hope. And I understand if you're listening to this and you, that was not your pick. It's probably the opposite feelings, but you know, me personally, I was having a real good day yesterday. And um, as she approached the stage in Delaware to give her address, I might cry now, um, just like one of the things that she said was like, we, the American people chose truth and character and the truth thing really stuck out, especially in the context of this. But the other thing that really stuck out is here's this woman who was, um, you know, I forget her role in California now, of course, but she was in um, 
what is your title? She was in law enforcement um, or presiding over law enforcement and an Indian or Asian American, black American female. And I instantly thought of you and the parallels of you to social justice and to justice in general. Um, and so I'd love to, I'd love to hear about your experience one with yesterday. Like if that, I don't want to project on you that like that resonated with you, but how that resonated, what it meant for you to be an Asian American, what it means for you now, um, your parents' backgrounds, um, any of that to kind of share your connection, not only to the American system, but also to more of a global system and ultimately how you have lines to interest of Gandhi because he was a lawyer. He is Indian, was Indian, all that. Yeah. Okay. So you'll have to remind me all those things again, but let's like 90 questions. Just talk, just talk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, I think that, you know, I, the fun fact also Gandhi is from the same state of India, Gujarat, um, that I'm from. He's Gujarati. He went to Africa for a short while and lived there. And, um, my mom was born in Africa. Like there's, because he was born under the British, you know, ruling of India at that time, which I just, you know, my eyes can't roll hard enough into the back of my head when I think about these things. Um, That's where there was a lot of like, there were also like colonies and places in Africa where, right, the British had settled in as well, this full colonizer concept. And therefore Indians had access way to those places. And so Gandhi had spent some of his time um, practicing law, having a family, doing these things there. And then he came back to India and slowly worked with the like, what you would call the like lower socioeconomics, the lower caste systems, the effort to remove untouchables as a part of the caste system really with your farmers, your small folks, right? To like evolve the way in which um, they were being ruled under British and to stand to up against it, right? In that civil disobedience, holding to the truth that like we are equal and um, we are, we are worthy of a a life of possibility and um, the things and the people and the systems that try to limit us Um, should be questioned and eventually hopefully like abolished and so um, that that was like one point my grandmother has um, this history she had actually gone to jail during one of the sit-ins that had gone down with Gandhi leading this era which is really neat um, to think about like what my family's been doing over these years as um I think that's where I get that from is this like, we believe in humanity. We believe in fighting for the thing that is um, inclusive. I really try like yoga has taught me to stay away from words like right and wrong or good and bad. And, you know, we talk about like duality systems often don't serve us. They keep, they keep us apart. Right. And I think that's where, you know, I'm going to speak my truth on, on our last, um, administration was they were very divisive they wanted separation and I think that that's what we were really rooting for Kamala and um, Joe do represent like union like 
white cisgender male and like biracial female, like that's a step, a much closer step in the direction than like two old white men trying to tell us how to live our lives based on like morals that or beliefs, religious um, tones with them that don't meet our population. And um, I wonder what for, for Kamala, how that was because um, it was tough for me to grow up with an Indian household in an American culture. Um, I, I often had trouble fitting in in the American culture or enough so that it would start to frustrate my parents because I was becoming too Westernized. And then I had trouble fitting in with the Indian culture because I literally had like no Indian friends my age when we moved from Chicago to Sturgis, right? Like I went from a really big city and access to like to Sturgis, Michigan population, like maybe now 12,000, right? So um, it was challenging. I was really alone in a lot of those things. And so I became much more like white identified because what was around me, who was around me, you know, outside of my household where we spoke Gujarati, where we watched Hindi films, like where I understood where I came from. And that there's moments in my life where I grew up I was born in the States, but I was raised in India for parts of my life where I've spent school. I went to school there for a while as well. Um, they, they were very interesting, I guess, um, to, you know, to have that kind of challenge. And um, I mean, obviously it's made me who I am today. And I think it helps me maybe meet others or see others who have similar experiences um, and yeah, next, next topic or next question. <laughs> next topic. Um, <laughs> I think that, well, I, someone, I met someone the other day who hasn't met you yet. And I was saying like, you have to meet Pervy. She, she is one of my friends who has introduced me to so many things that otherwise I would be so shut off from and so close-minded because you are so good at holding you're, you're very good at not living in the binary. You're very good at being able to see things in the whole picture. And that's one of the many things that I love so much about you. And I'm going to cry just saying it. Um, and I think that is, you know, you mentioned earlier working for the Senate. I think even though maybe those aren't your politics and that's not, you know, how you lean now or even then, I think it speaks volumes of your ability to see beyond the parties and that, you know, what I see in Joe and Kamala that quite frankly, I struggled with was their, um, their middleness, you know, they're not left-leaning, they're not as radical as I am. And I think that's actually what gives them the most power because that's the meeting place. Um, and I see you so often as that person, you're, you are like a super connector anybody that comes around you like instantly knows 30 new people and has like 12 new books they want to read. And so I think it speaks volumes about you and about your ability to help people channel truth. Um, which I think when we, when we talk about truth, we're talking about something that isn't, um, it's not binary, right? Like the truth is just one, it is a unified thing. And Gandhi saw that early um, and was someone who was a proponent of the truth. And so our theme this week is Satyagraha, which means to hold firm to the truth. And um, 
I don't know if you had this experience, but yesterday I'm like sobbing, day drinking, living my best life. But yeah. then also <laughs> like so joyful, um, but also quickly would go into states of like frantic, like I can't celebrate this. Like we've got to get to work, like, you know, and then like toggle back and forth. And I think they're one, I think that's a trauma response, honestly. Um, but two, I think it's this, it's this fear, this knowing that like, the truth must always be upheld. And like, I feel like much like in yoga, we've had this glimmer of it, you know, like this moment of enlightenment and then the eclipse of like, oh, fuck, like to maintain that it's going to be a lot of work. Um, so can you maybe share about your knowledge of Satyagraha in relationship to Gandhi, maybe your own definition of truth and how do we go from this moment to the next moment and the next moment, holding that truth and not returning to Obama era complacency, which I'm not putting everybody in that, but I'll put myself in that, that I was so complacent because I was like, oh, somebody else has got the truth torch. So like, I'm a- Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think so many of us did. Well, like it felt like such a step in a direction. Like it's like, obviously our country can't be racist. We just elected a black president, but, or like they're going to be the ones to shed the lights and we're going to sit back. I think, you know, the- um, the reality of a pandemic like this that we're in is that people didn't have their brunches to run off to when George Floyd was murdered by police, right? There's, um, and there's continuing to be so many of these things that we didn't have anywhere else to be like, well, there's someone else doing the work. We really had to sit in it, stare at it and get uncomfortable with it. And that's the work that this is, right? Is, um, it's really uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable working as a fairly liberal person of existence. Well, you know, liberal is funny to me because I don't, I don't think the things that I think we just talked about is like what I believe in, I don't think is necessarily liberal. Like, I don't think it's too much to ask that people, no matter their race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, um, have access to education, healthcare, wellness, and equity and equality. And I think that there was, um, truth in, in so many. So let me take like three steps back. So I was a criminal justice major. I worked for the, I did my internship at the prosecutor's office. I graduated and then I took a job working for three attorneys, two of them handled. Um, they were often um, defense attorneys for some of the, some of the toughest cases in town in sense of like, they were like capital cases or where people had committed gruesome, horrible murders um and watching these attorneys move around through their life I realized that they were very sad like they you know they've been divorced maybe remarried like they were kind of um cynical about the system and I just like it like broke my little like a attorney wanting to be heart <laughs> I was like I, I don't want this um and I think that was the first time I'd like listened to myself, like, Ooh, this doesn't look like the life I want to create for myself. Right. But, Oh, still got to have a job, still got to do things. And this was a small office. So I didn't have insurance from them and I didn't have these things. So I started interviewing with the legal offices at the state Senate and had done really well, but my background didn't really set me up to be like paralegal status or in that way. And, um, my parents raised me to be a smart, educated woman, right? Like they, I also like Indian culture, you can't get 
for me, you're not allowed to get a B. You're definitely not allowed to get a C in school and your ass will be grounded, right? Like those were the standards in our house. Like we expect A's, we expect high performance. Um, like that is a good Indian girl, right? She does good in her studies. She shows up, she does her chores at home. She takes like these things and were drilled into me. And so um, I did eventually take a, take a position as a legislative assistant and it was good for me. And I had, you know, convinced myself for many reasons, but my Libra moon can like see that it was a, it was going to be a good learning experience because if I wasn't going to be an attorney, I thought maybe I'll like a defense attorney, maybe I need to be a lobbyist or a person that advocates for like policy that needs to evolve because why is it that like our system is biased against like BIPOC folks, right? They're getting killed and arrested at higher rates than um, their white counterparts. And that had to mean like changing the policies that existed, right? So if we're not gonna be able to necessarily um, just support them by providing them with like attorneys, if the laws and the written laws and the interpreters of laws are biased or don't even know it and the policy is biased and maybe does kind of know it, like that's where the evolution has to occur, right? And so um, I did some really great work for like constituents within these um, districts for the state senators. And I think that was really rewarding for me. And I learned, I got a, an eye on it. I did, I was really unhappy there though. I was bullied a lot. There were several legislative assistants that looked nothing like me and pretty much found it like their sole purpose. They were like the Mitch McConnell's of fucking, sorry, F-bomb, um, of like- Dark energy. <laughs> like real dark, you know, like just, I mean, I felt like I was targeted all of the time. I can't tell you how many times I got pulled into my chief of staff's office. They're like some lie about me, like doing this thing or coming to like coming up to work under the influence of alcohol, which by the way, is a joke. Like there's just not a time in my life that I could ever do something that does not line up with my morals, but people will just say things. It's a very like Trumpism. They'll just say whatever they want to about it. In my opinion, this is, these are just my values and these are my opinions. These do not associate to the rest community. Um, you know, here at practice Indy, I just am sharing my take and also like it was a lived experience for me. I had people straight up lying about me because they didn't like me. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually like I was able to get referred into a different position, which I also talked myself into because it was another salary-based job, insurance was provided, and it was less like I was doing less of the policy work, but I was um, I was just managing the offices for the state party um, in downtown Indianapolis, which again was the Republican offices. Hilarious because I just like feel like this is a whole different life from like which I came right and and I I could justify it because I'm like well I'm not calling on their behalf like I'm not out there, like I've never, you know, my goal during this um, election season was to like participate more, but I've never canvassed the streets, right? Like I've never gone out to get signatures. I never worked a phone bank. I never, I just could, I, I convinced myself that, well, if as long as I wasn't doing that and I was just doing their billing, then technically like, yes, they were paying me, like my paychecks came from them, but I didn't like align with them. And 
it left me very isolated there once again, because I, I had to separate myself and, um, and then I didn't really have community within that scope. So I was really unhappy there as well. And once the leadership changed, um, I was fired because <laughs> I think they saw me there. The other staff realized like, she doesn't fit in. She's a blue dot hiding in plain sight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I can tell you that there was a point where during President Obama's first election, I had, he was like somebody I had liked on my Facebook when our chief of staff had um, come to me and was like, you can't do that. And I was like, fun fact, I can, I can just oh block the God. shit out of everybody here. So they can't see the pages that I like, but I'm allowed to like, I mean, it was like a real, like, what are you trying to tell me on my social media, how I can or cannot show up? Also, thank you blocking features, you know, and I just started like limiting access to my profile, um, to the people I worked with because I wasn't going to change it. Mm -hmm. I, I get my stubbornness from my mother. So, and my like will to like go against, you know, everything around me show up. And so, um, a lot of my independence comes from there. So it was eventually the day I got fired. I think I've shared this before was the day I declared I'd become a yoga teacher. Like I willed it out to the world and, um, I said it so I think like with the deep knowing that that's what I did really want to do, but under my parents, like guys of like a successful college graduate has a full-time job with a salary and um, potential to move up and, in, you know, insurance, we're small business owners. So insurance was like the biggest thing. They wanted me off of their insurance and they wanted me on my own because it's so expensive. With, as you know, being a small business owner to provide insurance. And it's not even sometimes that great. Like this is why we're talking about healthcare being an issue as a national level. Like there are so many, if we want to support small businesses, if we want to support these qualities and, and ideas, then we have to move away from the current system that exists. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just not really getting around it. Cause we, even now, like Craig's got great insurance that we're under as a family. We pay a shit ton every month. And then even when our bills come, which we just had a baby this year is insane. I can't tell, I didn't even get an epidural and Pitocin and have a very long stay. I had that baby within two hours of getting to the hospital and we paid a crap ton for the services that we were provided, you know, um, they, they wanted to save me that. And so to them, it kept meaning like trying to force me into this bubble. And so um, that's actually how you and I came to meet because we connected. Lululemon happened to be this amazing organization that could support me financially, help me with developmental skills to really hone in on who I wanted to be. And you were there opening the new location. And we were both talking about doing yoga teacher training and, um, and I, you know, just read it recently. It was like the moment you start making decisions for yourself, like really settling into like doing the things that line with you, like everything starts to kind of fall into place. And it was really, that was like the first step I took in that direction. I'd always had a job, right? Even in college, I had a job in high school. Um, I worked for my parents' subway. I'd worked for Dairy Queen. I just hassled for like one day. Um, like I've always been taught to have a strong work ethic. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And that was like the biggest step in my life. And the first time when I got fired, where I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to take three steps back and get clear on what it is I want to do. And eating sushi with Molly and drinking sake. I was like, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. That's it. And she's like, yes, you are. And I was like, yes, I am. And you know, here we are to that. That was 2011. So almost, you know, 10 years later mm-hmm. and I've been teaching for eight years. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that was a really big acknowledgement that like, where are these values that we think we have? Are they borrowed? Are they someone else's? Have they been like just passed along and perpetuated? And when do we pause, break away, take a look? And that's what yoga keeps teaching me, right? Is like, stop long enough and go, is this working for me? Is this my truth, right? Like Satyagraha holding to the truth. Like what is my truth? What is a universal truth? Um, And really exploring those concepts and, um, and finding more and more community like around that. I think that that bridges a lot that I heard, which one is like this constant meeting of the binary, you know, like Republican, Democrat, right, wrong, good, bad. That every time we start to funnel ourselves into these opposite spaces, like when you, you can't have one without the other. This is, I'm very into Alan Watts right now. And he said, he gives the example of a magnet. Like if you were to cut off the end of a magnet, there would still be a North and a South pole. Like you can't get rid of it because you have to have one without the other. And when we continue to try to separate and create castes and create division in society and all these things, what happens is like, they just come back around. Like it doesn't work. The environment ecosystems are interconnected because that's the nature of the universe wants us back together. It wants us in union but we fight so hard against that. And so I, at least my working definition of the truth is the thing that helps us like the torch that we must carry to get back to union, um, which is rife with obstacles. Like that's part of the, the tale, right? It wouldn't be an interesting story if there weren't obstacles and it wouldn't be worth the fight if it weren't for the obstacles. Right. But it's so macro and micro because on the macro level, you know, you're working in government where you're seeing this divide. And on the micro level, you're feeling these things inside about like trying to find that flow and that union in your own life. And I think that really is like, that is what holding firm to the truth is, is finding what brings you flow or brings you into union and then fighting like hell to get there. And Gandhi knew that union is when everybody is treated equally, right? Like when everybody is treated the same. And I mean, you've been fighting for that your whole life, whether you meant to or not, you know, through being a yoga teacher, through being um, working for the Senate. Like, I think, I think you're just an embodiment of that path. Um, I, I would love for you to share, cause I think when we talk about Satyagraha and like, what does it mean? I think it's going to be personal, right? Like as a country, we've got truth to carry forward with the changing of leadership. Um, I want us to, my personal opinion is I want us to be careful of like shit talking Trump and, you know, anybody, because, and you didn't do that. I'm, I'm saying for me, my, my initial reaction is to like make fun of him and, um, you know, take that path, but we won't get to union that way, right? We won't get to union that way. So I, I'm like really analyzing that. And at the same time, like 
we can't excuse behavior that belittles other people or oppresses others. And so there's that fine balance of that. So I'm, I'm trying to hold the truth torch with that, but. Well, I think, can I add to that? Like, I think we can't evolve that if we're participating in it in a way when we think, you know, like it doesn't, I'm not standing for union if I keep separating a supporter of another belief system that I don't align with necessarily, right? Or like, but to see how they landed there, to see their humanity, to see them as like um, products of their environment and their values that they may not even have checked in long enough to, because most of us can get by, right? Until like we're asked to really address what they are. Um, don't, don't even question it. And they might be more in alignment with this, but the longer we like separate them or, or like pick fun or whatever, like we aren't, we're not bringing them in. We're not calling them in. Mm -hmm. I think there is like, there's, that's the way we're going to progress. Right. Is I think as Christina has said, it so best, like we're not here to call you out. Let's call them in. Mm -hmm. And Brene Brown has this beautiful podcast on like, there's a difference between calling somebody out and holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, um, that's such a different way to love somebody than to loathe somebody is to hold them accountable to what, you know, their potential is instead of just, you know, voting them off the Island. So I would love for you to share, cause I think it's going to ebb and flow right between macro and micro. Like we, as a country have to hold the torch of truth to be better. We're going to have to heal the soul of the nation in a big way. I mean, this this election came down to race. This election came down to bigotry. This election came down to misogyny. Um, and I'm, I, I think a lot of us that hold the titles where we could oppress others are going to have to figure out how we continue to act with truth when it doesn't benefit us. Um, so you'd shared a story with me and I'd love for you to share a little bit about going back to your experience as an Asian American and microaggressions that you have um, experienced and maybe adding to that what your ask would be of, of all of us to start to move forward. So we all carry our own micro torches of satyagraha to heal the soul of the nation. Yeah, yeah. So, um... We, we had discussed, I've been sharing that I've been listening to on Audible, um, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and other conversations, right? This was about race um, from Beverly Daniel Tatum. And this book was written, I think in 99. So like, here we are 20 years later, and it's still super relevant. Um, and in it, in the newest version, right, she's like, I think starting in 2017, she's bringing up a lot of this information. She goes to include microaggressions. And I think that's where America needs the world. That's where all of us, India, you know, and their like, um, their challenges with Hinduism and Muslims and separation, right? Like that's how Pakistan was like created, was they like said, there's a Hindu India and like a Muslim India. And there, there's still this duality and separation. And so we're seeing it in the microaggressions portion. I, it triggered a memory for me. Um, I haven't had the discomfort of as much of like the racial bias in, um, in my existence that maybe others may have had. I've seen it, right? Even within the Indian culture, like lighter skinned Indian people are given 
more um, like benefit. They're, they're considered more attractive. If anybody's watched Indian matchmaking, like they talk about like the shade of skin of the person they're trying to make matches with, right? Because darker Indians are not seen. It means that they're working in the sun. That means that they're, um, I don't know. I, I actually don't know how they can get there, but also like they've, there is a version of it that they justified it back then, right? And it still lingers in the current time. Um, my friend Liz and I uh, were at the Olive Garden in Muncie and our server um, was really, she was a white woman and she just could not um, receive me for who I was outside of my skin tone. So let's, let's like rewind this. This is 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. right? It's definitely not 2005 because I was not 21 and it was over water. So if I had been 21, there was probably going to be a glass of wine there. So um, this is like 2003, 2004. 9-11 um, occurred just two or three years prior to that, right? Like 2001. Mm -hmm. And so our country is still like, and, and to this day still... I mean, this Muslim ban that that Donald Trump tried to put in order, like it stems so deeply into these these um, horrible atrocities that happened on American soil and has to evolve. But because that had been just a couple of years before, I think she saw me as like a brown person and as a brown person then I had to be like. I, I she she microaggressed against me in the sense of like I was like. I don't know if anybody knows, but I love lemon in my water. And so I was like, can I get like ice water with lemon? And, and Liz was like, yeah, me too. Liz's glass comes back full, plenty of ice, beautiful little lemons on there. And mine's like, like this little, like it's, it's, it's a normal size glass of water, but there's like three floating pieces of ice cube and like the ugliest slice of lemon wedge just in there. And I'm like, can, can I, can I? Did I say extra lemons? I don't, maybe I didn't do that. Maybe it was my fault, right? Here I am thinking I did something wrong. So can I please get a couple extra lemons? And um, we go on to kind of continue to eat. Also y'all, if you've never done it, Olive Garden, you dip, you get the side of the Italian dressing and then you dip the breadsticks in Ob it. Obviously. Is yeah. there another way to do that? No. Is there? I don't know. Some people would like to get like the Alfredo sauce and stuff. And I was, no, I just want like the free... Italian dressing and extra so I can dip it in there. So we asked for that Liz, and she gets, I think she must've gotten uh, something, but like, here's her cup, her little like dish full of like warm Alfredo. And like, here's my same size dish with like, like a spoon of Italian dressing in it. And something had happened and obviously this is college. So we're here for like unlimited soup, salad and breadsticks, right? Like this is, this is us like going out and also like living in our affordable college um, budgets. And just every time I'm encountering this, she, she just wasn't, she wasn't willing to see me as a whole person worthy of the request that I was making, but she could see my friend, my white friend sitting right next to me and meet her. And it was just this really awkward, uncomfortable. I couldn't figure out what I did wrong, like how I showed up. Um, I started to take on those, those qualities that of like inadequacy or as if I'd done something 
and like we like walk out of there and 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 Liz is seeing this and we're just both kind of like a little taken back but I don't know what to do and I don't I also don't want my like food being spit on so like I'm not trying to make a bigger deal at this point in time and so we we go and we get to the parking lot where we could openly talk about it and she got so frustrated on my behalf as well right like I was sad and there were tears in my eyes I couldn't believe I'd be treated differently um I've here I I'm paying here I have my dollar is worth just as much as hers right like and um Liz advocated for me and she went back in and she took me with her and we she asked for the manager I didn't have to she addressed it with the manager she said I witnessed this I I I saw this um and it's been a marked moment in my life that like yes, these were microaggressions, right? Like if I would have been like, but why are you giving her ice and not me? Like, was I being like, that's the, the concept of a microaggression is that really when you call them out on it, you're kind of, it's spun back on you for being too sensitive or making something of nothing or like seeing something that they don't necessarily want you to see exists there, but it does, it very blatantly exists there. And yeah, I mean, I think that's how we, look at it now I like it brought me tears as I was listening to this because it, it it was traumatic and I had set it aside for so long but it was also powerful in the sense of like this is what it talks about like being allies and being a voice against oppression and oppressors like maybe they don't even know they're doing it I have a feeling this woman knew but even then like giving them the grace that like maybe they don't realize like why they think they're doing it and to have room. We can't expect them to grow and evolve if we don't hold that space for them as well, right? And I think that there's a lot of conversation to go around that. I am not a Black American here living with it regularly. So I don't have that same space to speak from or the Indigenous folks that have been continually like um, just so so much harm has been brought to them and their communities, right? Based on like how we exist in the world today. But I do think that we can take the steps in the right direction. I like during um, Gandhi's time, they made an effort to like create equitable, like um, whether it was like monetary and rights to the Muslims that had been harmed during some of these like religious wars and distrust and, and um, civil um, like uprisings and conflicts in India. And they did make towards it, right? And I think we're having conversations about like, what's it like to, to right our wrongs right now. And I think there's little ones like these where you stand up in a moment and it may not be comfortable and it may not, and it doesn't have to look right. You know, and I think that's what we're hearing from people is like, I don't want to do it because it, I don't know how to, I don't know enough information or I don't know, well, there's tons of information. That's the era we live in. You can go get it. Also be okay, have moving in the direction of it and maybe not getting it right because from that you'll, um, or like, done it to its like fullest potential because again I'm trying not to say right or wrong but like you will learn from it how to maybe do so with um differently the next time you're in this situation right and it and it is like it is us showing up over and over even when we're exhausted even when it feels like we're doing this with some of the people we love the most 
But like, I think that's another realization is that we are accommodating racism and beliefs based in systemic racism when we're not having the hard conversations with people we love and adore and care for. Um, and it's hard to meet them and say, you know, how you're existing right now is harmful to uh, your nation, the population, a marginalized group, right? Like, how are we raising everyone up? And um, your words, you know, we've been talking about business stuff and it's like high tides raise all ships, like how we really unify the Naptown brand as to like working together and elevating everything. And it's like, it's really sat with me is like how uh, we work to work with the most marginalized and the least supported members of our country is how we raise everyone within this nation. You know, I think this like $15 minimum wage has been like the copied and paste breakdowns on Facebook are really bad, y'all. That those those are not legit. Like that somebody did math and tried to be like, I did this right. Didn't I'm telling you, it's not how this system works. But a person that could maybe get by on a super low minimum wage, which right now is like seven dollars something. So we're asking to double it, right? Can probably save more now or provide higher quality things. They can support and pay for certain things. If we meet them with accessible insurance and healthcare, then they can lead healthier lives. They're not going to be taking like drains on um, their people that don't get healthcare provided to them or don't get access to education will eventually be fed by the tax system in some way or another. So if we're providing them, yes, things will go up dollars. The cost of certain things will go up. And, um, but isn't it, I think, isn't it our, our hope that everybody contributes everybody contributes oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the right of the privilege and the the wealthy is to help bring like that's what i was taught right and gandhi comes from these hindu backgrounds and my family does too and like service and like to help those who have less than us the less fortunate is deeply ingrained in our belief systems it has been a part of my entire upbringing which is you know something I'm proud of. And I don't have, I'm definitely not going to be affected by Joe Biden's like increase on taxes or whatever policy he had talked about because I don't make enough money to be affected by that. But I think all people hear is, well, taxes are rising. And, and I think we've gotten away from asking the questions and going and looking a little bit harder and also like stepping up in little ways and saying, well, we advocate for it because of this. Right. And like, this is what we see is potential impossibility. And, um, I don't know. I, I I may have gone on a tangent there. Sorry. No, no. What I'm what I'm hearing is exactly what I was you know I, I was hoping to learn, which is what I'm hearing is we've got to you know unlike the woman at uh, at um, Olive Garden, which we should go to Olive Garden soon. Actually, <laughs> now I really want to go get a breadstick. Um, but what I'm hearing is that she didn't see you as a whole person. She saw your friend Liz as a whole person you know, just based off of first impressions of your skin tone. And well, that sounds like, yeah, that's racism 101 or whatever. It's like, we, everybody has degrees of that, right? Like when you see somebody, not you, but like the, 
you know, general you see someone who has a disability. There's so much of our culture that is conditioned us to not see them as a whole person as they are, not broken, not, you know, the tale of the sage Astavakra from Astavakrasana, broken angled sage. You know, he was the most enlightened being in the space, but nobody would see it because he was broken. He was air quotes, if you're listening to this crippled. And so I think that's where we've all got to carry the torch of truth is just like Gandhi, who saw this broken system, saw people called the untouchables and was like, no, no, we're all the same. We're all the same in terms of like, we're all God's creatures or energy or whatever you want to frame that as, right? We are all of the same thing and we all deserve the same rights. We all deserve to contribute and um, you and I saw Paul Hawkins speak. Oh, that was so good. So good. And he opened that speech with um, you were the only species that doesn't employ all of our parts. Like we, we cast each other off. We put each other in groups of like, you're useful, you're not, you can't contribute. And if we changed our worldview to see everybody as whole and that everybody is deserving to be a participant in this union of humanity, of earth of whatever we're essential to it that we're all essential to it yes. yes like the world would be a different place so i think um i think there's a lot to extract from your life your story this concept i would urge people listening to really think about their definition of truth um how we carry that truth how truth evolves as we expand right like my definition of truth right now is limited by my lived experience by my privilege and so continuing to also know that like truth is a much bigger thing than we can probably always conceptualize but there are these people like gandhi who figure it out and carry that torch and the last thing i wanted to add that i heard is like you even had grace for that woman who couldn't see you um, and I think what's, I, I don't think what's revolutionary about Gandhi's tactic was the nonviolence. Yes. And we saw yeah. that this summer protesters, they were not violent and they are, they are who, those are the, the giants whose shoulders we are standing on because with Biden and Harris's win. I agree. Um, and that is the revolution. It's to come from a place, maybe not even of love. If you can't love them, I get it, but come from a place of like, even keel or balance or good trouble um, in order Question it. curiosity, right? Like we have to remain curious about it because it's like, we, we're all capable of change and evolution. And if we don't hold space for people to evolve, then we're boxing them in again. And then we're not really doing the favor of like unifying when we keep, cause that's, that is separation in its sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that separation, this like us, them, you, me thing has to be like, we are in this together. Like whether you like it or not, actually, right? Like we are really in this together and how are we um, doing this? I don't know if I have like just a minute to share my mom. She's like full of these bits of wisdom. Um, she had talked about, she at her house, like the, Sturgis is a really small town. And so these um, Christians had come to her door and were, you know, sharing their message, their religious beliefs and, um, you know, recruiting or whatever that is. Um, and she we've always met, met him with kindness, right? Well, then one of them happened to come back into Subway 
you know, we're very Patel. So we own a subway. We've wow. owned it for a long time. Um, almost 25 years. They, so my mom's been a staple in our community, right? My parents have been there forever. And they came in and he had was getting a sandwich and my mom talked to him and she goes, you know, I want to tell you the story. And it's about eight blind individuals were told to hug an elephant and each of them hugged this elephant in a different part of its uh, massive, right? An elephant. So they're all like describing what they feel like an ear, this floppy, like loose little thin bit of this long trunk, this hose like um, circular cylinder, like long rope like thing, a tail that is tiny and thin, these big legs, this big body. They're all explaining different things in such different ways. Um, she goes, you know, that's how I see religion. She goes, you know, you might take it, you're, you are true right here. It is an ear and it feels like this, but that is your belief system. And um, on this end of it, it's like, you are also correct when you feel the leg and you describe it that way. Like that is very much your truth, but these can all exist together. They are still this one grand massive elephant. And then um, none of them were wrong, right? In a sense, like what they described was very much valid. Like we are, we are allowed to have our belief systems. And I think we're, what we're really learning is that so much of our, our structure and our laws have been based on like specific religions and America is a, is a nation of many belief systems and we have to evolve that to be inclusive of it instead of like press pressing upon one another a specific way of thinking and existing and recognizing that if you can have that then somebody else is just as valid and entitled to have their version of it and so I I don't know I she just told me it this week and I was like oh and she, she connected this Hindu woman who, you know, practices and reads like the, the Mahabharata and, um, sh, uh, you know, she, she like is very religious, but she's also very open and she would be a very liberal Indian, you know, in a sense. Um, but I've, I've, I've seen across Indian cultures, like it, different Indian families who have similar belief systems. They're always receiving other faiths with the exception of this like longstanding issue that goes on with Muslims in India. And I just still can't understand it after all these years, but we're getting closer and closer. Right. And I think, like you said, like Biden and Harris, like are, are an example of us, like coming closer to that middle meeting, bringing these outlier and um, really extreme versions of thinking closer together. Oh man, you nailed it. You nailed it. There's nothing else to say. <laughs> nothing else to say. Come to class, come to Pervy's classes. If you haven't checked out Ashtanga Wednesday mornings, 9.15, do it. Pervy, you're brilliant. I am so you're grateful generous. for you. I'm, I'm honest. I mean, I'm, I'm honest from my lived experience. You are a tremendous being of light, of knowledge. And um, I'm just so grateful I get to learn from you in this life. And um, thank you for coming today and sharing your wisdom and just, and just being. Oh, thank you. Same, same to you, sister. I love you. I adore you. Um, you know, continuing to 
elevate and inform our community. I think this is like that work, right? I, I think that we, we start bit by bit conversation, podcast, book, information, and, um, and you're, you're helping, you know, evolve us. And so thank you for doing that. I love you. I love you. Okay.